Well, good morning, church. Glad you all are with us. We are in Ezra chapter 7. <clears throat> and like Leah said, we're going to be focusing a little bit on, on the Word. And as we were kind of putting together titles and things, I called this God Whose Word Changes Lives. And I, and I think that's one of the things that we're going to see as we kind of look through Ezra chapter 7 today. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Ezra chapter 7. If not, I'm sure you've got a device that it's on, and if you're missing your device or you're one of those folks suffering the power outage and you couldn't get it charged last night, it'll be up on the screen for you so you can see it there as well. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meheriah, son of Zehariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of, his, for the, hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also into Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the, the priest, a scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and, the, and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now... I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites of, in my kingdom who freely offer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of, of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem." And with all the silver and gold you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money then you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs, and their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold you may do, according to the will of your God." The vessels that have been given to you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law, of the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 
100 baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or the other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, as such as all such as know the laws of your God. And, to, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for the day you've given to us. We thank you for this time we have to continue worshiping you through the reading of your word, the proclamation of your word, and the response to your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we we enter into this time, you would speak to our hearts, you would challenge us, you would convict us, draw us closer to you through your word today. Father, as we focus on your word, I pray that you would challenge us and convict us to spend time in it to know you. You've written us your word so that we may know who you are. Father, the the best way to know you is to know your word. And I ask that you would just continue to bless us in this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 7 of Nehemiah. This is kind of the beginning of that second wave of Israelites uh, as they're returning from exile out of Babylonia back to Judah and back into Jerusalem, right? Uh, as, As we've as we're going to read through and study up some of chapters 7 through 10 here in the book of Ezra, it's going to feel kind of similar in theme and similar in focus to Ezra chapters 1 and 6. We've, we've kind of talked about the story of Ezra and Nehemiah being one story, kind of told in three different acts. Well, each act carries a very similar theme of what's happening, right? Chapters 1 through 6 tell the story of the people's return, followed by this external opposition to work on the temple. Chapters 7 through 10 talk about some more of the people's return. And then this time it's going to be internal opposition to the work that's being done on the temple. And there's even going to be this crisis of interfaith marriage that shows up. Right? But what we see here in Ezra chapter 7 is that God is using Ezra to change lives of people. Right? And the method that Ezra uses to change people's lives is really simple. And it's completely available to me and you. Uh, there's, there's nothing that we, we need, that, that it's all there to us. God is using Ezra to change lives of the people around him because Ezra studied the Bible. Uh, and, and he lived what the Bible says, and he's going to teach the Bible. He's going to teach the Word of God. And, and this is what we need. This is what we need within the church. Uh, this, is, this is the biggest need within the world. Right? We, we need people who will study God's Word, 
people who will live by God's word, and people who will teach God's word. It's real simple. If you want to be closer to God, you need to study his word, do what his word says, and teach others his word. It's not a complicated formula. There's there's not a program. He didn't have to go to go to lifeway.com and buy anything to do this. He just happened to have the word of God present with him and is able to go on doing this. And this is what our call is going to be today as to as we look at this. Now, verses 1 through 5 we see Ezra's lineage and his genealogy giving us proof that he is a priest from the line of Aaron. Right? Now, remember back to chapter 2. This is kind of paralleling back again. Back in chapter 2, there were some folks that they couldn't prove their lineage as priests, right? That they, they couldn't live up to that, they couldn't show that, and so they were excluded from the priesthood until they could get the umen and the thermon out, and, and they could do the, the thing they needed to do with that. Um, and, and so here Ezra is not excluded. He is able to, to show that he's descended from Aaron, and that's kind of important because it shows that he's qualified to do the task that God has chosen him to do, that that God has already pre-qualified him for all of this. But really, kind of the interesting thing about seeing these genealogies in Scripture, specifically with Ezra, is, is that the genealogy says more about God than it does about Ezra. Right? That, that this genealogy here shows us that God is faithful here. Right? We've got to remember that Ezra, even though he's from this line of priests, he's still from a line of people who are sinners. Right? Aaron, if you remember right, went and made a calf. Oh, yeah, we took all the gold from the people. I, I don't know. We, we had all this gold. Remember the story he told Moses? We had all this gold, and we tripped and fell, and it came into the fire, and the next thing you know, boof, there's a calf, and people thought it was from God. So we, shut up, Aaron. Please stop lying. Like, you just want to say that to him as he's doing this. But, but he made this golden calf, right? And, and so... What we see is, is, is that Ezra's descended from the same sinners as you and I are, right? Adam sinned. We're all descended from Adam. Aaron was a sinner because of Adam's sin. Ezra's a sinner because of Adam's sin. It's that way, but God is faithful. See, God has raised up leaders for this exodus from the exile, just like he raised up leaders from the very first exodus. It doesn't really matter what your background is. God can use you. God will use you for his glory anyway. And that's what we're seeing here, that that your ancestry doesn't make you any more or less a child of God. See, if you come from a long line of preachers and praying mamas, that's great. But you can still come from that long line of preachers and praying mamas and not be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Still be condemned to hell. You can be descended from heathens, hellions, Satanists and witches. And God can rescue you from all of that. And he can reconcile you to him and put you in a right relationship with him. That doesn't matter either. See, all people are made in the image of God. And that all people sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that all people who call on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. That's the key. All who call on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. So your heritage, your ancestry is about God. It's not about you. If you come from a long line of godly people and you have Christ in your life, you need to celebrate God's extended mercy 
and has extended grace to your family for several generations. That's praiseworthy. If you come from people who are not godly, yet somehow or another, through the supernatural power of Jesus Christ, you still come to him. You need to celebrate God's mercy on you. Praise him for choosing you, not being an elitist God or a snob. That's still praiseworthy. We should all celebrate how God delights in using what seems to be foolish to the world, weak and silly, to accomplish great things for his kingdom. We should praise God for being one of his weak and silly things that he uses when we come to Christ. We see this in Ezra chapter 7. And as we continue on, we, we learn about Ezra in verses 6 through 9 and, and that he was focused on God. Ezra sought to be godly and sought the kingdom of God. I love this. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Ezra was good with Scripture. I like that word skilled, right? It's such an interesting word that he was good with Scripture. He knew it well. He was quick and able to quote it appropriately and share its wisdom. Right? I think about that word skilled and, and I think about the, having an ability, but not just having an ability, but, but putting that ability into practice. And Ezra had both. He had this God-given ability, but he had honed his ability through study and practice. I love that. The king granted him all he had asked. Indicates that, that Ezra had an important advisory role in the kingdom somehow. That through his, his, ability, his, his, his ability to study well and to learn well, God had elevated him up. Right? He, he, was, he maybe had a role similar to like that of Daniel did when the Jews were first carried off into Babylon. He was close enough to King Artaxerxes to be able to make requests and to ask questions. And there are scant few people that could have done that. Very few people. And later on in the chapter, we see that Ezra was given some specific tasks while he was in Judah to carry out for the king. Right? So he, he's in some ways maybe like an emissary or a diplomat. He, he's got a lot going on. He's a very busy guy. He has a lot on his plate. Yet the word says he was skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord God had given him. Even in all that Ezra has to do as this diplomat, as this emissary of Persia, as this potential political advisor to King Artaxerxes, which would make him busy, busy, busy. He focused on the Word of God. He never seemed to be too busy to go back to Scripture. That should be very convicting for you and I. That should be really convicting to us. It was convicting for me, right? To know that Ezra made time regularly to become familiar with the Word of God, that he made time to be skilled in the Word of God. Yeah, I get it. Our lives can be crazy. They can get busy. But do we prioritize being skilled in the Word of God? According to crossway.org, you can read through all of the Gospels and Acts in one month by only reading 20 minutes a day. 
20 minutes a day, every day for a month, and you can read through all of the Gospels and the book of Acts. You can read through all of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all of those books in one month by reading only 28 minutes a day. You can read through the entire New Testament in one month by only reading 35 minutes a day. That's not a lot of time. We, we look at it, and I get it. Man, you pick up one of these things, and I got one of those great big study, leather-bound study Bibles, right? You pick up a book, and it feels like it weighs as much as a gallon of milk. You're like, I'm never going to be able to get through this thing. But it's much less time to read the Scripture than we think, to spend time in it. So you see, when I think about this, I have to ask myself, which game show or which sitcom can I give up nightly to get, dedicate time to reading the Word of God. I mean, I get it. I watch Wheel and Jeopardy too. I'm about over Wheel, but I could, you know, I could give up Wheel to read Scripture. I don't know, Jeopardy might be tricky. I don't know. I'm just saying, but these are things to think about, right? <clears throat> Which one of these things can I give up so that I may become skilled in the Word of God? What silly game on my phone do I need to stop playing so that I can study the Word of God? So that I may know Him more? Which social media site do I need to stop scrolling so that the Word of God can change my life for His glory and for His purpose? 30 minutes a day. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in a month. 30 minutes a day, the entire New Testament in a month. 20 minutes a day, all of the Gospels and the book of Acts in one month. How much time are we spending in the Word? Because what we see here is that even though it's important that they've listed Ezra's lineage, that didn't impress Artaxerxes. Right? Ezra is skilled in the Word of God, but that probably wouldn't have impressed Artaxerxes much either. He's a pagan ruler. Then what was it that brought Ezra to the level of authority that he had in Artaxerxes' kingdom? For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. That's what it says. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. See, Ezra's time spent in the Word allowed him to know God more and brought him close to God. Ezra was prepared for God's hand to be on him, and he was willing and excited to be used by God for God's purposes. Ezra understood it wasn't about Ezra. It was all about God. The mission he was given was about God, and God would make it succeed. Everything about Ezra is really about God. It was God who made him capable and skilled to do the tasks that God had given him. It was God who gave him all those tasks, right? Ezra knew everything was about the power of God on display for the world to see. And we keep going on. We see in verses 9 and 10, we see the kind of character Ezra has, right? Ezra was, was, is a priest of God Most High who is called to be holy and set apart, yet 
he's not in Jerusalem. Not yet, right? He, he's on his way there, as we, we see in the early part. He's not in Jerusalem at the temple. He's in Babylon serving an enemy king. A priest of God Most High supposed to be holy and set apart in Jerusalem serving God, but yet he's in Babylon serving an enemy king. Here, here's Ezra, God's chosen leader for this time, who should be among everything that is clean, right? According to the law, he's supposed to be there doing that. Yet, here he is in the very center of what should be considered unclean. But Ezra knows something. He knows his people need to be liberated. And he knows his people need a liberator, right? He knows they need a king from the line of David to reestablish the kingdom. He knows the nations should be subject to, to the reign of God, God Almighty. He knows this. So what's he do? Here he is. He's this priest who sees this need to, to have a, a king in Jerusalem who is from the line of David. He sees this. And he wants that to take place. He knows that's the need. So how does he prepare for it? He immerses himself in God's word. For Ezra, the best way to pursue the kingdom of God is to, to know the word of God. It's to jump in and to dive in, to live out the word of God. It's to teach the word of God. And I thought about this, thought, man, are we not in a little bit of a similar circumstance as Ezra? No, I'm not a Jewish priest. No, I'm not living somewhere in the Middle East. No, I'm not under the captivity of a, of a, of a foreign enemy king. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are part of the priesthood of the saints. And we are set apart for the purposes of God. And we, like Ezra, should long for and desire the coming of the kingdom of God. And we, like Ezra, should pursue the coming of the kingdom of God. And we should probably be reminded that the world that we live in is not our true home. It is where we have been born and it is where we wait for the promise of Christ's return. But it's not our true home. Jesus, upon his return, will take us to our true home. See, I'm, this is where I'm at. I'm like, I want to urge you to live like Ezra. I want to urge you to follow his example, to turn your heart to Scripture, immerse yourself in it. Study the Bible, live the Bible, teach the Bible. Now, when I say study the Bible, I want us to ponder that for a second. The, the modern 20th and 21st century church, specifically here in the West, I think it's distorted what it means to study the Bible. I don't think it was done with malice. I don't think it was done with ill intent. I, I think it was this way of trying to create aids and helps for people to study the Bible. But what has happened in creating those aids and helps to, for people to study the Bible is that, that churchgoers now may be reading those aids and helps more than reading the actual Bible. We may be in a situation where we read more about the Bible than we actually read the Bible. 
church. Put down your guided Bible studies. They're not bad. Just put them down. And pick up the Word of God. And just read the Word of God for the Word of God's sake. Start simple. Read a chapter of the book of Proverbs every day. Just 31 chapters in Proverbs, 31 days in some months, so you get a day off. You know, you get, you, you, what hour are those days that are 30, 30 days, or those months that are 30 days? Or you could double up. Either way, it works well, right? Just read the Word of God. Read through the Gospels in a month, 20 minutes a day to read through the Gospels and the book of Acts in a month. Just read the Word of God and let the Word of God do what it does. Use the Bible app on your phone and let it read Scripture to you on your drive to work or other trips you take. Oh my goodness, a couple years ago, Leah and I were on our way to Birmingham. I needed to read. Oh my goodness, I can't even remember how much it was. Joshua Judges, Ruth, Esther. It was like six books and I had to have them read in that week. And I put them in on the phone app and we just listened to scripture on that 12-hour drive to Birmingham. And we heard all of that word of God on that drive. It can be done. Rosario Butterfield, who, who's a, a, a writer, a, a strong Christian writer, talks about when she was a non-believer and was reading through scripture for research purposes. She was a, an English teacher and was trying to figure out why Christians hated the LGBTQ plus whatever community. And, and, and she's reading through Scripture regularly, the whole of Scripture as an English teacher, trying to do research to debunk Scripture a little bit. And someone comes to her who had deconstructed and abandoned her, their faith, pulled her aside and cautioned her, saying something to the effect of, be careful reading the Bible. There's something there that is powerful and it will change you. And I'm telling you, if you, you want to find a story of change, I'm just going to give you a dabble. Go find about Rosario Butterfield and see how God changed her because it will amaze you. It will shock you what our God is capable of doing. Christian, we should, we should hear this advice. Be careful reading the Bible. There's something there that is powerful and it will change you. We should hear that advice and desire to be changed by the word of God. Yes, be careful reading the Bible. I want to be different. We should take that in. We are called to live the Bible, right? As you read the word of God and, and gleefully allow it to change you. You're going to become convicted by the Holy Spirit in your life and, and you're going to want to live more biblically to the point of reading the Bible is to know the God who sent it, right? And as we know him more, we're going to want to emulate him as best we can. And we will begin to do the things the Bible tells us to do and we will stop doing the things that the Bible prohibits. And we're going to be very wary and we're going to be cautious where the Bible gives warning. As we live out the Bible. Then we're called to teach the Bible. I, man, folks seem to fret about this one. Do not fret whether you're a good teacher or not. 
Sometimes all you need to do to teach the Bible is read it with someone and answer questions that may come up. It's that easy. Start with grandbabies, your own kids, friends. Just read it. Again, no guided Bible study. Just read the Bible and answer questions as they come up. And here's the thing is the best teachers are the ones who say, you know what? That's a really good question and I don't know. How about we try to figure that out for next time? You do not have to be an expert. You do not have to be seminary trained to lovingly read the Word of God with someone. That's the basis of teaching Scripture. And here's the beautiful thing. As you teach, you're going to find you're going to study better. And as you study better, you're going to find that teaching becomes easier. And all the while, you're going to be finding yourself wanting to live more biblically so that all of that becomes easy. It's how God's designed it. See, the world needs more followers of Christ doing this. The church globally needs more followers of Christ doing this. The church locally needs more followers of Christ doing this. The kingdom of God needs more followers of Christ doing this. Study the word, live the word, teach the word. This is a call that we have been given. In the next section, verses 11 through 26, we see Artaxerxes' decree, right? And, and it, is, it is thick with mentions of Scripture. Verse 11 refers to Ezra as a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord. Verse 12, he's a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. In verse 14, according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Verse 21, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires, let, you, let it be done with all diligence. Verse 25, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand. And in verse 26, whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him. In his advisory role to Artaxerxes, Ezra let Artaxerxes know the power of the Word of God. And maybe, I don't know, maybe Ezra was close enough there. This is, this is the book of speculations, not, not anything else. Maybe Ezra was able to share the Word of God with Artaxerxes. We don't know. Scriptures are a little silent on it, but, but somewhere along the line, we see that Artaxerxes recognizes the, the Word of God as important, at least to the Jewish people. And so he makes this decree, right? That the first part of it gives anyone who has the desire to return to Judah and Jerusalem with Ezra permission to go. And it sends Ezra back to, the, to Jerusalem for the purpose of making sure things are being done in accordance to the word of God and to teach the word of God. He's also to deliver a bunch of items that the king and his counselors had offered and to get as many donations as possible for the offerings and sacrifices to be made in the temple. Artaxerxes authorizes Ezra to do whatever is necessary for the temple with the funds he receives. Then the second part of that decree is, is to the treasurers in the province beyond the river. And, and it's for them to give Ezra what he needs to work on the temple and to worship God. Artaxerxes also provides tax-exempt status for all the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, all the temple personnel. Kind of a sweet deal. 
And then the third part of that decree asks Ezra to appoint judges who know the word of God and to teach it to those who don't know it. Ezra has the authority under this Persian rule to exact punishment for breaking God's laws. You think about that, man. Ezra has gotten a lot from the king. There's actually a list of 11 things. I am not going to bore you by reading a list of 11 things right now. But specifically, there are 11 different things. And it's probably really the stuff that he requested from the king. He knew what to ask because he knew the promises of God from his time spent in the Word. He knew when to ask because the wisdom of God had given him, because of the wisdom God had given him because of his time spent in the Word. Ezra was given all of this because God's hand was on him and God would be glorified through him. Then Ezra praises God for all these blessings. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our Father, who puts such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love because before the king and his counselors. And before all the king's mighty officers, I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go with me. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. I think about that line. He knew he could have that courage because he knew what the word of God said. He knew the word of God. He knew God was faithful because of his time spent in the word. He knew God would give him that spirit of courage because God said so in his word. He knew it. See, Ezra took time to study the word. And God gave him the wisdom that comes from studying the word. And Ezra made requests of the king, and, put, and God put it on the king's heart to grant Ezra those requests. Ezra sees that God's hand is in all of this. And it is God who has accomplished all of this. And then he rightfully praises God for that. Ezra can take courage knowing that God will see him through. And we'll see all of this through. All of this is life-changing for Ezra. All of this is going to be life-changing for those that are, that are around Ezra in Jerusalem as he's doing that. But here's the thing that I look at that. These life-changing events started with Ezra's dedication to the Word of God. If you want your life to be changed, dedicate yourself to studying the Word of God. If you want to know God better, study the Word of God. God has given us His Word so that we may know Him and make Him known. The Word of God is powerful to change lives. Study the Bible, live the Bible, teach the Bible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You so much. We thank you so much for your word and how it it speaks to us. How it lets us know who you are. How it teaches us about your love for us. Father, I pray that as, as we spend time in the word that you would continue to grow us closer and closer to you. Draw us in 
to you. Give us an excitement to study and to hear and to listen to your word. Give us insight and wisdom that comes only from studying your word. Let us not be hearers only, but doers of your word so that we are not deceived. 